You are listening to episode 174 of the Mad Chatters podcast, January 31st, 2018. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> to another episode of the Mad Chatters podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. I'm Derek, and I'm joined by my fellow chatters, Matthew. Hey. And Jeremy. The only chatter fully endorsed by PETA, ASPCA, and Bob Barker himself. Mm. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, well, we always begin with a little bit of news. And this week, we don't necessarily have announcements, but we do have a few stories that happened this week that we want to talk about. First of all, you may have heard the rumor, and that's all it is right now. It's a rumor, but it seems to be getting... Traction? <laughs> Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. It seems to be getting some of that. Especially over the last few days. And that is the rumor that Disney's Hollywood Studios might officially have a new name selected. And that is Disney's Cinemagine Park. Oh my word. Just terrible. Now, if you'll remember, this is the they, they released that survey like six months or so ago. Yeah. With these names that we all agreed were just names to throw us off the scent and maybe lead them in a direction of a real name that they were going to go with. But none of these would actually be chosen. And not only was this name on the list, but I pronounced it Cinemagine. Cinemagine. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> a Moloff machine. I think that, um, that, didn't we say that was the least of the bad, the least bad option on there? Probably so. I mean, the only two I can think of are Kaleidoscope and XL, and it's definitely better than those. Yeah, I'm surprised they're going with a movie-sounding name. Okay, but here's the thing: it, what, 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 what is cine, what is cinem, cinema, cinnamon, cinnamon? What? I know it's like a play <laughs> on the words of cinema and imagine, but like, is imagine has to be one of the very few words that end in i n e. That is pronounced in. Like, does that make sense? Like, divine or uh, there are a ton of words. Ch- I can't think of any other words now. But, <laughs> but a ton of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> so many. But when you see cinemagine, it just does. It's not a word. It's not a word. Well, like, th- this just is not going to translate to the general public. And you would think that you'd want the name of your park to be very, um, no pun intended, universal. For people to understand the concept of what you're going for here. So to go for something so very abstract is weird. Yeah, and I don't even get the imagine part. Like, I could even almost see Cinemagic more than I could see Cinemagine. Yeah, who's going to say we're going to this park? Like, how are they going to say we're going here? (laughs) I'll be embarrassed to just say it. Like, it's (laughs) one of those things you're like, uh, let's go to Cinemagine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and what's and what is the uh, what is the full name? Is it going to be Disney Cinemagio what? Park, I think. So DCP. DCP. 
All right, we're going to say one of DC. Well, here's the thing. Think about like when Epcot first came around. Um, the amount of education they had to do to the general public to kind of understand what Epcot meant, what Epcot stood for. I mean, granted, Disney was creating a word from an acronym at that time. So they have a history of, of bringing these sort of abstract things into the common vernacular. But also think about your other parks. You have Magic Kingdom. You kind of know what you're getting there based on the <laughs> title. Animal Kingdom. Very simple. Yeah. Uh, cinematography park is not <laughs> going to just roll off the tongue and and encapsulate the imagination. Yeah. Real cinemagin and sugar in every bite. That's what it makes me think. Of. That's what I'll say. Cinema. Cinnabon. Let's go to the Cinnabon Park. That's what I'm gonna call it on purpose. And if I don't, I'm gonna say cinemagin. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I cannot be the only one who looks at that word and instantly thinks cinemagin. Well. You might have been, but it's still good. <laughs> All right, let's move on. I just pray that that is still just a rumor and it's wrong. But we'll we'll find out and we'll let listeners know as soon as we do. But the other story that was uh, also humorous, uh, but maybe in a different way, we had a few audio animatronics lose their heads quite literally this week. First, it was Ursula in Disney California Adventure in the Aerial Dark Ride. Her head was literally dangling from her upper body. But she didn't stop singing. She is a true performer. (laughs) That is the the show must go on. Keep singing! (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, her her facial features were not still going. At least from the video I saw. I, I didn't see her mouth or anything moving still. That would have heightened the... Um... This disturbing nature of this. <laughs> yeah, she just got decapitated. I guess it's just from all the motion that, you know, you got to tighten the screws every now and then to make sure tighten that things don't happen. Tighten up, <laughs> Ursula. Just got to gotta do your Kegels or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's either that or, as Matt mentioned before we started recording, there's some serial attacker of audio animatronics out there because over in Paris, the exact same thing happened the next day to the auctioneer in Pirates of the Caribbean, his head dangling. It was a, what do you call it on the CSI shows, the little crime shows? It was a imitation. It was imitator. What do you call that? <laughs> a copycat killer. Copycat killer. That's there what's going go. on. They're like, yeah, yeah let's get him. Mm. Take out that old male misogynistic auctioneer. Of course, he's not that anymore in Paris. Oh. Yeah, they've already changed theirs over. I mean, it was that animatronic, though. Yeah, I know. I mean, they're not selling women anymore. Gotcha. His role is different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. All I'm going to say is, thank God this didn't happen to the Trump AA. Because oh my can gosh. you imagine the political <laughs> articles? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that would make national news, whereas the Ursula one made Disney news. Totally. But if the Trump AA loses its head, it's going to be all over you know, the conspiracy theories, Fox News, everywhere. Well, we're praying for the safety of the rest of the audio animatronics in Walt Disney World, and we hope that they catch the guy who did this before he attacks again. So, on a lighter note, let's kick off this week's episode with a new segment, a new recurring segment. It's called This Week in Disney History, and here's how it will work. From time to time on our show, we're going to look back at some big event that happened within the Disney company that week 
but in some past year. And to go along with the event, we'll have some sort of news article that was published the week it happened. We hope this will be a fun way to not only look back from our present perspective, but to also get the firsthand perspective of people who, you know, lived during the event or who were even assigned to write about the event at the time. Um, It's kind of like when you listen to a podcast like ours that talks about current events, but you're listening to it years after it was was released, and you're like, oh, that's what they thought that was going to be back when it was first announced, and it's so not that anymore. Um, Anyway, so for this week's edition of This Week in Disney History, we're going to look back at the year 1945, because this week, February 3rd, The Three Caballeros was released in the United States. Can I tell you what was happening in the world? Please. I would expect no less. This week in 1945... Actually, should I speak a minute? It's 1945! We're here on the wire. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In Germany, Adolf Hitler evacuates into his underground bunker. In Poland, the Soviet Union's Red Army occupies Warsaw. Hungary drops out of the war, agreeing to the armistice with the Allies. Meanwhile, back in the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is inaugurated to his unprecedented fourth term as the President of the United States. That was happening in 19... This week, the end of January. I feel like that should be followed up with uh, Jungle Cruise music. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. No. Um, Now, (laughs) you guys have both seen The Three Caballeros, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I admitted... A few weeks ago that my resolution this year is to watch all of these old, old package films haven't gotten around to it yet so I, ha- I, I all I know is what I've read over the years about this film which is that it seems to be kind of psychedelic in a way uh that's a weird word to use I wouldn't say psychedelic but oh, okay I, I, what do you mean by that I just read like okay so this was one of the first films to really combine or at least one of the first Disney films to really combine animation with live action rather than like Saludos Amigos, which apparently had live action sequence sequences and then cartoon segments. Whereas this one kind of put them both on screen at once in the same frame. And I, I just, I just always heard that like the imagery is very abstract and out there. I wouldn't say psychedelic in the sense that I, I think more psychedelic when you get towards like Alice in Wonderland. Like you could definitely trip acid and watch some of those scenes and be like, whoa. Uh, I don't really get that that feel from this film, but that's just it's me. Abstract. Psychedelic is abstracted and and weird and formless. But I don't think it's abstract. I, I think that, I mean, I would think like that opening scene of Fantasia is abstract psychedelic it's not anything like oh that. i'm not arguing for the use of psychedelic to describe the film oh okay yeah i mean don't argue with me in the sense that i'm fighting for what i'm saying i want you to tell <laughs> me what the film is like i have not seen it everything that i could think to say right now i think it's probably going to be mentioned in your article okay um well yeah let me get to that so this film was released 1945 in february uh it was the i guess second of the package films behind Saludos Amigos. Um, I, I don't think it did all that well in the theater. I, I think on this on its initial run, it earned just enough to cover its costs, which is not exactly what you want with the film. Um, but the article I have here that I want to share is the New York Times review of The Three Caballeros 
written by Bosley Crowther. That's such a 1940s name. Mm-hmm. I love it. Bosley Crowther. Bosley. It was published on February 5th, and he says, This country's best will ambassador, Walt Disney, who seems destined by rare fate to agitate cordial relations among the natives north and south of the Rio Grande, is at it again. And with fine spirit, in his latest feature-length color film, a vivid splash called The Three Caballeros, which came to the globe on Saturday. And if the tone of this notice sounds strident, or the words fail to fall in ordered shape, you can blame it upon the sensation stimulated by this fantastic film. And I'm wondering if he means fantastic as in, like, A-plus terrific or fantasy-like. Fantastical. Yeah. (laughs) For the Three Caballeros is like nothing that Mr. Disney has ever done before, although it glitters with reminiscent snatches from several of his previous cartoon films. It hasn't the neat, dramatic structure of Snow White or Pinocchio, nor does it have the episodic arrangement of Saludos Amigos, his last Goodwill show. Rather, it is a brilliant hodgepodge of Mr. Disney's illustrative art, a literal spin wheel of image, color, and music which tumbles at you with explosive surprise. The form, what there is, (laughs) is based simply on the incidental idea that Donald Duck receives a birthday package from his Latin American friends. A huge gaudy bundle of boxes it is, and And as each is opened up, a succession of sparkling, riotous pictures of fantastic incident floods gaily forth. The first fairly coherent sequence concerns a penguin from the frozen South Pole. Um, Okay, he just kind of explains some of the... I guess it's like a series of short Mm -hmm. stories? Yeah. Yeah, they're all independently, you know, standalone kind of things. Gotcha. Um, he talks about uh, the pompous toddler who has a time with a tiny flying donkey. And from this clearly reminiscent episode, the sequence is reckless and abrupt into a noisy reunion of Donald with his old friend, Jose Carioca, in Brazil. Henceforth, Jose, they, he keeps calling him Joe. Does he go by Joe in the movie, Joe Carioca? I don't recall, but Jose is Joseph you know, in Spanish, so Joe would be appropriate. Okay, he says Joe, the parrot, and Donald are tossed wildly into bright and lively scenes which include human dancers and singers, bathing beauties, and stunning views of Mexico City in Acapulco. Acapulco. The popular bathing resort. That's a weird way of saying that, but okay. (laughs) En route, they pick up a raucous character, a grinning rooster called Panchito, who abets the general spirit of abandoned gaiety. What Mr. Disney and his artists have accomplished is a firecracker show which dazzles and numbs the senses without making any tangible sense. (laughs) The cartoon characters are amusing, though they lack the usual subtle Disney wit. The colors are orchidaceous, and the music is rhythmic and gay. The juxtaposition of humans and cartoon creatures is a cunning novelty, which still leaves one feeling vaguely as though he is watching animated tattoo work. Aurora Miranda is Latin and spectacular in singing Os Quirins de Yaya, The Cookies of Yaya, a thumping song. And Dora Luce does very nicely by You Belong to My Heart. Mm. And he wraps up by saying, There is no question that Mr. Disney has got here a brilliant, fluid style for presenting musical pictures 
and that his enthusiasm expressed through it is great. But he hasn't quite brought them into order. His film is flashy and exciting and no more. That um, seems to be the timbre of most of the, the reviews that I was looking at today. I don't remember who said it um, or which paper or writer it was, but someone said that this, uh, this film uh, on the initial reviews was that it carried more um, technique than artistry mm-hmm. and it seemed like they had just simply pulled out all the stops on technique and, as, as he said, flash um, without much much care being given to the substance, the form, or the, you know, any kind of story. And that's always the vibe I got from from these package films. They got a little better in that they, at least the later ones, presented themselves as distinct stories. This one kind of comes as if it's one story, but it's like five different stories, and there's no, you know, no, nothing holding it together, no resolution, no problem. It's just little snippets. I think it's important to understand the historical context in which these films were made as well, that Walt was uh, very burnt out at the time and needing a vacation, needing time away. So he was offered a handshaking tour from the from the government because we're still deep into World War II right now. And they were worried about the the Axis powers extending down into South America. And so they really wanted to kind of send down these sort of people, these celebrities, well-known figures to go down there and kind of win the hearts of the people over. And Walt didn't want to just go down there and shake hands, so he packed up his artists and decided to make films. So there's a lot at stake uh, in these films when you kind of look at the behind the curtain, what was going on, uh, of trying to build relationships and be uh, culturally adored as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, it, back to what you said, Matt, I kind of always got the idea that with these package films, that early team of animators just kind of wanted to show off. Like they had proven themselves with Snow White and Pinocchio and Dumbo and people were convinced like, wow, animation really is like the next thing. You, you can create entire stories through animation and it works. And now the animators are like, watch what we can do. And so that's yeah. why they're, you know, they're combining animation and live action in these crazy ways and doing crazy things. And maybe it didn't quite translate to the audience, but it was impressive and flashy. Yeah, any anytime, I mean, you know, you, you hear about Fantasia and, and, and these kind of films being, um, the technique at least, being ahead of their time. And so that never, that doesn't often translate well with the masses um, at first. Uh, one person's response to... Donald, um, several times in the film, uh, lusting after human people, which, <laughs> which I've never thought of before. You know, from from our vantage point, it's just you know cartoons do that, and it, it's not like oh he's a he's a duck. Um, this person was pretty like disturbed by it, especially in one particular scene, which I don't quite remember, where he's apparently smitten with some dancer, and there's a bunch of cactuses around. And this gentleman in the 40s writing about um, this scene says it could have been, how did he say it? If it, if it was any other medium but a cartoon, it would have been very suggestive. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Well, you see. <laughs> when a daddy duck loves a mommy duck. Uh, <laughs> no, this paves the way for like Howard the Duck. You know, remember that movie from the 80s? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Howard Duck was inspired directly by Three Caballeros. 
I'm just saying actions have consequences. Well, there you go. Let's see. That was what? 70, 73 years ago now. Three Caballeros came out in theaters. Uh, like I said, it didn't perform quite like Walt Disney had hoped. But, I mean, who knew? It's still in the parks today. People still know that song. People still know those characters. So, They say at one time that uh, Jose was was more popular than Mickey Mouse in Brazil. So it clearly had some impact in the right way, at least south of the border. I believe it. In fact, I read that this actually debuted in Mexico City in December of the year before. It didn't come to the U.S. until two months later. So there you go. Happy anniversary to the three caballeros. Uh, Yeah, and we'll be back with this segment in the future to talk about other important things that happened in Disney history. Chatter Jeopardy. This is the segment where the answer is given and then we provide the questions. Are you gentlemen ready? Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's right. win some money. <laughs> the answer is I don't believe that's supposed to be green. What is my face after writing Mission Space? What is the seat cushion in the Mission Space vehicle? <laughs> what is often said about the food ordered at the electric umbrella? Uh. <laughs> the answer is, I'll do it, but I'm not happy about it. What is what female Pixar employees said when summoned to John Lasseter's office? Oh. What is sitting next to another family at Beer Garden? What is every cast member's reaction when scheduled for the Kringle crew? The answer is 0.01%. What is the likelihood of me ever buying a turkey leg? What is my love for people while exiting the Magic Kingdom after 8 p.m.? <laughs> Uh, what is the combined body mass index of the Tumble Monkeys in Festival of the Lion King? Uh, the answer is as wide as an elephant, but twice the weight. What is how I feel after a meal at Ohana? What is the average size bowel movement after a dinner at Ohana? <laughs> <laughs> Sick. Uh, uh, a lot of a lot of meat. <laughs> <laughs> <Love protein. laughs> what is two elephants standing in single file? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The final one. The answer is faster than a speeding bullet. I have to go now. The contents of my stomach after eating at Ohana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. 
What is the rate at which the TripAdvisor score is falling for Disney's Hollywood Studios? Mm. Uh, what is the speed of the stroller after I kick it down Main Street after it's hit me in the ankles for the fourth time? This week, let's talk about Pixar. Now, if you've been listening to our show for a while, a long while, you might might remember that quite a bit of time ago, we did a series where we went decade by decade and we talked about the Disney films that came out that decade. And we specifically talked about where you can find them in Walt Disney World today. Uh, We reached the current decade and kind of ended our series there. But we're going to return to that series this week and talk about the Pixar films and where you can find those in the parks. I I think the series was just a fun way for us to see which movies get the most representation at the parks and which ones seem to be overlooked. Uh, So that's one of the reasons we want to return to it. But another reason we want to return to it is all the Pixar stuff that's happening at Disney California Adventure. We've talked about how Paradise Pier is going to become Pixar Pier. And really, if you think about it, Disney California Adventure is kind of the Pixar park. It has, by the time Pixar Pier opens, it will have three entire lands themed to Pixar because it also has Cars Land and a Bugs Land. Over in Hollywood Land, there's the Mike and Sully to the Rescue Ride. Uh, There's the Wilderness Explorers something something Redwood Creek Trail something. Um, So Pixar is all over that park. And other than Cars Land, I want to say none of the Pixar attractions have been met with glowing reviews. Yeah. I mean, when, when Toy Story Mania came out, people liked it. Okay, that is true. You're right. I'll give you that. Um, a Bugs Land opened a few years after the park, and I think every year there's rumors that it's going to go away just because it's not quite the hit that they expected it to be. The Monsters Inc. ride was a kind of a quick overlay once Superstar Limo bombed. So, uh, uh, Pixar's there. It's everywhere there. But I, I don't know if they've really found, like, that success except for Cars Land. And Heimlich's Choo Choo Train. Obviously. The best. Yeah. So, anyway, all that being said, this week we're going to move over to Walt Disney World and talk about where Pixar has been incorporated there. And, um, you know, probably in the back of our minds be comparing it to Disney California Adventure and see if maybe we've had more success on the East Coast. Uh, I actually think we'll find that as many Pixar attractions as there might be in Walt Disney World, they really only represent a very small percentage of the actual Pixar films. And I think we'll find that as we go along. But with that being said, I'm going to throw it over to you, Jeremy, and let's talk about some of these Pixar movies. Well, the first uh, film we're going to start is actually a franchise, and it is arguably the cornerstone of the Pixar company. It's what gave them their initial success. And no matter how many times they go to the well with this film franchise, it always pays off. And that is the Toy Story franchise. Of course, the original Toy Story came out in 1995. Toy Story 2, 1999. Toy Story 3 was 2010. And then we are expecting Toy Story 4 in, what, 2019, I believe? 
Yeah, it, I, but I mean, the, the most recent news we've heard from that is that the writers backed out, so who knows? That is true, yeah. Uh, well, according to the Wikipedia, Toy Story 4 is expected June 21st of 2019, so just a year and a half away. But despite all that, there has been countless shorts uh, released, a couple of half-hour specials. Um, so Pixar definitely has a, a love for Toy Story, as does the general public. So you can expect that they would have a large presence in Walt Disney World, and they do, and it's about to get even larger. So let's talk about first where we where we find Toy Story currently, and then we'll talk about the future. Okay, yeah. I mean, the first thing I think of with the Magic Kingdom is Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger spin. Yeah. In fact, I, I want to say this opened... I mean, before Toy Story 2, right? It was 98, 98 or 99. Yeah. yeah, so this was this may have been the the real first big presence that the movie had. Well, you know, after uh, after 19... Let's see, what was it? It was probably around 98. After the first Toy Story, but I want to say before the second Toy Story or right around that time, Pixar actually released in partnership with Disney an animated Buzz Lightyear movie. Um, I don't know if it was straight to DVD or if it was on the Disney Channel. I'm pretty sure it did not run theatrically. But it was uh, it was about like Buzz's story, the actual Buzz Lightyear, if you would, not the toy version. And uh, so that's kind of the feel that you get in this attraction is almost based on that film and that kind of storyline. Which is bizarre. No, I, I kind of like it. It's kind of a, an Inception sort of... A movie yeah. within a movie kind of a thing. Was Zerg always part of the ride? Because you really don't even meet Zerg until Toy Story 2. Well, I mean, I, th I think he was in this animated, so I'm sure there was concepts for him. And he's also, you do see like a picture of him in the uh, in the original. Okay. I, he just, He's just such a big part of Toy Story 2, I forget that maybe he was there before then. But... Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, good ride. It, it's it's certainly not my favorite, but if this was the very <laughs> first Toy Story attraction that was that debuted, you know, props for thinking of this concept. I like the I like the idea of diving into the Space Ranger aspect of Buzz Lightyear because this is the only Toy Story related attraction that you're going to get that you're not shrunk down to the size of a toy, <laughs> uh, if you would. Um, the problem with this attraction is that you can tell it was kind of done in haste. Mm -hmm. uh, it was almost like a gut reaction to the Toy Story craze, and then when Toy Story Midway Mania came, you know, came around, and it was essentially the same ride just done on a way better level it really makes buzz lightyear feel like a carnival sort of attraction yes that's how it comes across it's like a cheap like there are shoot 'em up carnival rides uh not carnival rides rides at lesser you know theme parks and amusement parks that have that black light shoot 'em up thing going on that are that are better than buzz lightyear well, and you got to realize, too, the technology that they're using, that sort of infrared, you know, targets shooting, you can buy that now at your local toy store. It's not mm. unique to a theme park. It, maybe it was in 1998 or 97 or whenever the open, but We've had laser tag for a long time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, like at home, kind of a, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. 
So. Yeah. Uh, now, when when Toy Story started being introduced to the international parks, they found more things to do with it. But I am still kind of surprised that in Walt Disney World, they opened two attractions 10 years apart and still the only thing they could do, the only thing they could think to do with this franchise would have a shoot 'em up game or, a, you know, a shooting attraction. Yeah, of all... Uh, we can talk about that later. The things they did internationally have all been like, at least in my opinion... Have all been very lame, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm happy I'm happy to have the, those two attractions at least for now. Yeah, no, I'll agree with you on that. I think we have the better versions, but like, there's so much you can do with the realm of toys. I always think of um, the Toy Story presence in that stupid. Uh, what do they even call it these days? Move it, shake it, move it, celebrate it, play it. Move it, shake it, dance, and play it. Yeah, whatever that is. Um, all the Pixar films, but Toy Story, you, you always see Woody and Jesse in that. Maybe Buzz, too. Which makes sense, because it used to be the Pixar thing at Hollywood Studios. And uh, they also, um, every once in a while, I haven't seen them much recently over in Frontierland doing a little dancing thing. Now it just seems to be the Country Bears, but and Horse, Collar, and um, Jingle Bells. What's her face? Clara um, Bell. Uh, but I've seen Woody and Jesse over there before, too, out doing the square dancing and all that stuff. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's mostly country bears now. Yeah, I mean, you can meet Buzz and Woody, but that might be it of all the characters. I would love to just one day have, like, a Rex character out there. Wouldn't that be great? That would be great. With those little tiny arms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No autographs, no autographs. Well, you can meet Buzz pretty much at any time there in Tomorrowland. Yeah. And then yeah. Woody is out during the parties. I know that. Is he out during the average day? No, only at Hollywood Studios. In Pixar Place, they have their own designated area. Gotcha. So really, Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin is the only really like mainstay of Toy Story. Besides their presence in the parades yeah. and that kind of thing, which they, they do have a Toy Story presence there uh let's move over to hollywood studios then which is another big oh you're talking about christmas and halloween parades okay yeah christmas and halloween because gotcha, gotcha. i'm like there's only, the... right there's only one parade at disney world that's not a holiday parade and only one pixar film is represented and we'll get to that later but yeah. Oh, that's true. I never thought about that, but okay. Um, so Hollywood Studios, though, has another large Toy Story presence, and that is the other attraction that's already been mentioned, Toy Story Midway Mania, which takes place in the Pixar Courtyard. Is that what the official name of it is, or Pixar Place? Or yeah, Pixar... Pixar Place, that's it. Okay. So as you are in Pixar Place, it might as well just be called the Toy Story... Uh, Toy Story Place. <laughs> Toy Story Vestibule, because that is going to be the, the entrance to Toy Story Land as it comes, I imagine, be right there. And really, Toy Story is the only thing that's represented, because you got Toy Story Midway Mania, the Buzz and Woody meet and greet. You got the toys that kind of decorate the the walking path and the army soldiers kind of meet and greet out there. Yeah, that's true. I've never thought about that. It's called Pixar Place, but it might as well just be Toy Story Land. It's a salute to all Pixar films. But but mostly, mostly Toy Story. But only Toy Story. <laughs> Before the, all the construction stuff started happening over there, there was the, um, I think it was permanent. Or it was there for a long time. The Mike and Sully uh, meet and greet was around the corner there. 
Yeah, but you could almost say that was like really separated because you had to pass by Backlot Tour to get to their little little yeah. there. Um, uh, you can meet Woody and Buzz there together, which is fun. Yeah, it is. A, it is a fun meet and greet there, and and uh, and then of course across the way is Toy Story Midway Mania, which is a better version of the sort of shoot 'em game. It has the screens, it has the the 3D. Uh, 40 even technology um but has that attract has that attraction aged well i think so i think so too yeah i think it's still a good ride and it's so like so much stuff is happening and it's so exciting just in terms of the you know the noise and the music and the the characters talking to you that it keeps your excitement level kind of jacked the whole time plus you have the competitive nature of it which is always um keeps things moving do you remember when this first opened as well and how the lines would just be hours and hours and hours long i remember we got to ride it during its soft opening yeah Ooh. behind the planters yeah, that's right <laughs> i i think it's open you guys I, guys yeah. look i think it's open but you know that's what i'm funny. just realizing buzz lightyear 1998 toy story mania 2008 toy story land 2018 Oh, it's a conspiracy. So what's going to happen in 2028? Oh, my goodness. Pixar Park. Mm. (laughs) Probably. Pixar Cinematography Park. (laughs) Cinnabon. Pixar Cinnabon. So (laughs) Toy Story Land's opening in May. That's really soon. That, That is like, I'm surprised they haven't. I mean, it's, it's almost February as we record this. And I mean, that's four months. I'm surprised they haven't really given us more taste. It's two months. Till May? No, you have all of February, all of March, all of April, all of May. Because I'm guessing it's like May 27th or something. Oh, I'm thinking about February to May, which is March, uh, three months. That's subjective thinking. But anyways, uh, <laughs> anyways, it's soon is what I'm trying to say. So I imagine here in the next couple of weeks to you know a month or two, we'll be getting... You know, pictures of the soft openings and the cast member previews and and all that. So mm, it, seems a little, it seems a little early for that, but I mean, they've shown us pictures of. Really, the only thing we haven't gotten pictures of is the alien swirling saucers ride. But there is a little miniature of the vehicle at Walt Disney Presents, formerly One Man's Dream. So I think we we already kind of have a good idea of everything that's coming. We even got concept art of that walk-up quick service place, the lunchbox place, a while back. Mm. Yeah, but you know, there's a difference between the concept art and what the reality <laughs> is. <laughs> so, let me show yeah. you some concept art of New Fantasyland, and then I'll show you <laughs> what we what we actually got. Where were the mountains in the background? That's what I want to know. Right, yeah, right. where are your mountains? Show me the mountains. <laughs> um, no, I, I said this earlier, but now that we're actually here, I can elaborate. Uh, of all the Toy Story lands internationally, which I think there are three, Paris, Hong Kong, and now uh, Shanghai, I, I think Hollywood Studios would be the, the best, in my opinion, because the others have just, I mean, they're literally just carnival attractions uh, themed with Toy Story characters. And, and I'm glad that we're getting at least a, a kind of a mini coaster, a family coaster that's not just a round and round or a little, you know, kind of dip de ride. I'm not saying it'll be the most exciting thing in the world, 
but I think that they're I think they're probably doing a little a little better job because they need they know Hollywood Studios needs something a little nicer than what we got. Yeah, having ridden Mater's Junkyard Jamboree, which the Alien ride is modeled after, I will say it is surprisingly more fun than you'd expect. Like, I think I always have a good time riding it if maybe I'm not, like, thrilled and ready to hop back in line as soon as I get off of it. And the Slinky Dog Dash, I think they said, is a launch coaster. I mean, obviously it's not rock and roller coaster, but, I mean, to have a family coaster that's a a launch is kind of unique. I thought that from from kind of the get-go looking at it because there's no incline hill yeah from from the station it just kind of goes and so i think it's going to be um i think it'd be pretty mild not that you've um the the cheetah hunt coaster that's at bush gardens tampa bay is a launch coaster but and i was thinking getting on that i was thinking um rock and roller coaster style launch but it's not and it is much less intense and i think that that'll be kind of the, the vibe you get like zero to 30 in yeah. like four seconds you know <laughs> like like when you rent a car and you're not used to it and you hit the gas a little bit too hard like that yeah it's like whoa oh not <laughs> yeah. like i'm gonna have a heart attack yeah uh i i think that's all the toy story stuff there is yeah i was thinking about uh there's really nothing in epcot and there's really nothing in animal kingdom nor should there be <laughs> I don't know. If you put Rex in Dinosaur, oh. <laughs> he's like stomping at towards you. That would be great. You had a little thing for Rex here. I can tell. I, I, I really like Rex. He was my character on the app for like the first two years. I like him a lot. I can see that. You're, you have a little Rex in you. You're like you're like uh, if Rex and Woody had a love child. That would be Derek. Because you, you have some leadership qualities, <laughs> but you also have some... some uh, uh, not anorexic. That's the wrong word. What is anorexic? No, that's why I'm not saying. What do you call it when they're a little nervous and little uh... anal retentive? Just kidding. Certainly not anorexic. <laughs> well, anal out of this box, retentive. If you looked at the three of us, Derek would probably be the most anorexic out of all three of us. <laughs> wow. Let's not even put that out there, please. I think, uh, yeah. When I think Derek, um, uh, more more like a, a conglomeration of. Uh, Mr. Potato Head and Woody. See, I get more Potato Head from you, man. I was just <laughs> thinking that. Uh, I think more ham with me. <laughs> You're like ham and Potato Head together. Ham potatoes right there. That's, <laughs> there, that's me. <laughs> all right. Well, now that we've given Freudian diagnoses of all of us. <laughs> yes. I think yeah. that does it for Toy Story. My, my favorite line of any Toy Story film, and it may, just makes me laugh every time, is when it's the end of Toy Story 3 and Woody is saying goodbye to all the um, toys as he's getting ready to go to college and they're going up in the attic. And so he's going down the line, hugging everybody, and he's saying goodbye to the potato heads. And Mr. Potato said something about Andy. And he says, he's a good kid. Tell him to get a haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is Matt. <laughs> that is so Matt. Oh, uh, my favorite line is when the shark finds Woody's hat and he says, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> Oh, good times. Yeah, so Toy Story, been with us. Those characters have been with us for 23 years now. And I think probably of the Pixar films, it's going to compete with one other film to see which has the bigger presence in the parks. But I'm sure after Toy Story Land opens, this will be the winner. Definitely. Uh, 23 years. I don't want to spread any rumors, but 
I think I think Buzz and Woody have had some work done. They look pretty young still. So, anyways, uh, our next film, 1998, and that is A Bug's Life, which uh, oh. came out. We, you know, we're still shrunk down to the size of a toy, and we're just <laughs> uh, still there. <laughs> now we're a bug. As Derek mentioned earlier, there's uh, A Bug's Land out in California, but in Walt Disney World, there's really only one attraction and one place that I can think that a bug's life has a presence and I think it's perfect and I love that they have a presence here because this is a, a, a part of the animal kingdom that is often overlooked but as is mentioned in the attraction is one of the most important and fundamental and largest and that is the insects we're talking of course about a bug's life okay I don't know if you guys know the answer to this when did Disney acquire Pixar it was around like 10... this time it was shortly after, around 1998, 97, 98. Because I'm thinking, they put in Buzz Lightyear in 98 before Toy Story 2 came out. They put in A Bug's Life in 98, the year the movie came out, in their brand new park, Animal Kingdom. Like, they were on top of it. Talking about acquiring. I don't I mean, think they... that happened until, like, 10 years ago. Oh. Okay, but they apparently, in their deal, had... Oh yeah, they were. I mean, they they were the 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 sole like, what do you call it, distributor? Yeah, but they lost that right. At, okay, I see what you're saying, Derek. When they actually bought Pixar, I thought you're talking about when they acquired the licensing rights because right after Toy Story one, they kind of lost that, if I remember right, um, because it was only a one picture deal. Yeah. And then uh, they kind of scrambled and were able to resign there. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think they actually bought Pixar till like 2005. Six? Okay, but yeah. I really was talking about, like, when did they... I guess they've always had the rights to put Pixar in the parks, like, as long as they've been partners with each other. They've had that right. Seems like it. Yeah. I guess so. And But this is also a time as well, you're talking about the, the putting the Bugs Life attraction in the same year the film is coming out. This is the time when Disney was doing that sort of thing. It's the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true. I mean, think of the last five or six Pixar movies that came out that were not sequels. I mean, we still have very, very little presence of those, but here are two movies in a row that were integrated into the parks very quickly after they came into theaters. And like big attractions too, not like a meet and greet area in Epcot, you know? If, if the dates are right. It's tough to be a bug. The attraction at Animal Kingdom opened in April. And the movie was not released until November. Wow. Yeah. That is interesting. Huh. Well, I mean, here's the thing I love about It's Tough to Be a Bug. One, like I said, you if you're going to have a park about animals, I think that you have to have some insect presence. So it, it works out well. I love 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 the placement of the attraction under the tree of life mm -hmm. it is absolutely brilliant to put that there because where do you think about where bugs are most of the time they're underground or you know they're out of view so to have this like theater almost in a dca which is why i think dca struggles so much is because that land you don't get the feel that you're in a bugs sort of point of view it's yeah. just another theme park land. And then you have this giant building, which they painted grass on. that doesn't even really, <laughs> it's just very up, obstructive of your views. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you have this attraction that you're going now under the tree of life to get to. It's in this sort of cavernous sort of feel. It's brilliant. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Flick is the only character you can meet. He's always close to Pizza Fari. But now that I think about it, like, I would love to meet Hopper sometime. I think that would be a great interaction. Maybe not interaction. He obviously wouldn't talk. But I think you could make that character since he stands on two legs. I think the yeah. princess meets every now and then with Flick, too, if I'm not mistaken. Princess Atta? Atta? Atta. Atta. Uh, this film actually did really well. Um... It was it was budgeted for 120 million and it made 363 million at the box office. So uh, it is I'm my second favorite Pixar film. I love this movie. It's really great, and it was still you know Toy Story like broke the mold absolutely for animated films. And I think A Bug's Life was just keeping that going for Pixar. They were riding on that high and did it again. Yeah. And do you remember at this time um, DreamWorks? Because Jeffrey Katzenberger, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. his name, ants, ants, yeah, oh. came out. Woody Allen, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, anyways, okay, so '99 was Toy Story 2, which we mentioned already, and then another hit for Pixar. This is back when they were just pumping them out, boom, 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 one after the other. They could do no wrong. They hit the the mark again in 2001 with. Monsters Inc. and followed that up with a sequel that was not as well received, but frankly, I still enjoy it. And I think it's of the Pixar sequels, not including like uh, Toy Story, you know, two and three. I would say this is my favorite of the other sequels, even higher than Dory. And I love Finding Nemo, and I like Dory. But Monsters University, I think, isn't it's kind of underrated in my opinion. But okay, it has a lot of good adult humor that is uh missed i think would you call it an adult film <laughs> <laughs> monsters inc is my favorite pixar movie i hate monsters university but monsters inc is my favorite you know about five years ago i was always telling people that it was my favorite disney movie full stop uh but i don't know i don't know if i'd say that anymore i need to do some reevaluating but yeah, it's so good, so creative, and so freaking heartwarming near the end. Golly, it gets me every time. Yeah. What what don't you like about Monsters University? Me? Yeah. Oh, I I mean, the story's okay. I just you don't I don't get the connection to the characters. It was the kind of the first Pixar movie I, I saw. Well, no, Cars 2 was. It's kind of the first one I saw that I didn't really I didn't really have any care for any anything that was going on. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't get attached to anything or anyone, so it was it kind of left me empty. Well, that kind of segues nicely into the attraction that's at <laughs> Walt Disney World. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, for a film that is very well received and very much beloved, the attraction again just cookie, you know, cookie not cookie. Why am I saying cookies? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say cookie cramming, but it's cookie cutting, <laughs> but I was thinking. <laughs> Speaking of cookie cramming, uh, I have hated this attraction. I won't say from day one, because, like, visit number one, number two, and kind of the the novelty of the, the, the real-time animation happening, and they're talking to you, and you're talking back, and um, stuff like that. Oh, this is at Magic Kingdom, by the way, in Tomorrowland. Yeah, um, right next door to Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger Spin. Yeah, and that was the first thing that I think upset, no, not upset, that was to a lot of Disney World fans. I was like, okay, well, that's weird um, that you suddenly have this huge Pixar presence in Tomorrowland and 
maybe one kind of makes sense because it's spacey, but this one is like, okay, how does this fit? Uh, once the novelty of the jokes and the interaction wear, wears off, it, it's you know it's it's it screens and it just kind of lacks um, any sort of like I really want to go do this. It doesn't draw me in anymore ever. Now, what was in this theater before Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor? Timekeeper. And the, and Timekeeper closed, and this came in. There was yeah, no. There was a long time. I think. I think there was a li- a long time. I might be wrong. When when when, when did Monsters uh, the Laugh Floor open? Before, before our first time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, you guys, I still really like this attraction. I have friends who went for the first time a, a few weeks ago, and they came back, and this was one of the very few attractions they mentioned to me. And they are in their mid-20s, and they were still like, how did they do that? They're, like, there's got to be actors behind there, right? Like, how did they interact with people? And I'm like, I'm, yeah, I still think it entertains people on their first time. First it time, opened. that's the problem. It opened April of uh, 2007, so right before our first visit. Okay. Oh, wow, yeah, right before. Do and time, Timekeeper closed in 2006. Oh, just a year. I mean, that makes sense. Like, what, what really did they have to add? You know, once they had the show figured out and the technology figured out, it's not like they had to create these amazing animatronics or anything. No. I just think that this film deserves better. It does. Uh, to, to, to be honest, it, it deserves better than anything I've seen they, them do with the, the film. As much as I like, I, don't get me wrong, I would much prefer a Monsters, Inc. dark ride as what they have at California Adventure. But still, this this film has such great potential for theme park usage. Well, I think the the one scene that everybody goes back to is the doors the scene where that would be such a cool coaster concept that why they never went in that direction, who knows. But I, I think that's it. Like, I don't even know if you can meet Sully and Mike like you used to be able to at Hollywood Studios. I, I think it's this attraction and that's it. Yeah, I know Mike comes out for the uh, – doesn't he come out for the holiday party stage show in Tomorrowland? He does. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's a long, well, I don't know about long. Maybe, maybe for a, a couple of years now, since the rumors have, since the rumor mill started churning for you know Star Wars Land and Toy Story Land, there have been uh, whispers, rumblings of a Monsters Inc. Um, expansion at Hollywood Studios. Uh, some of them seem to be pretty. Uh, at least they had some details already worked out. In terms of taking from like one man's dream all the way around through the um, Little Mermaid and animation, where the animation thing used to be, um, and taking over Rock and Roller Coaster. But that's one of those things that's always up in the air. I would really like them to do that. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Is it the Boo to You parade? And maybe I'm just thinking this because it has Boo in the title. One of those parades, Boo is in, but she's in her monster costume when they were trying to disguise her with like the one eyeball that hangs over her head. Was that an old parade that's now gone, or is she still part of... No, they, that was in the, the daytime parade. Aww, um, that's sad. That was one of the best character costumes. Yeah, a, a character in costume, in a character, in costume. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> yeah. very They had meta. that... What, what parade was that where they had the... Um, was it at Hollywood Studios, the Pixar? Where they had the actual Monsters, Inc. Like, float... Hey, hey, it's a 
pray play parade. Mm-hmm. And block party bash as well. I yeah. don't want to work. I want to bang on a drum every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was Monsters Inc. Maybe we'll get some more in the uh, Hollywood Studio expansion. Because I'm wondering now, in the Hollywood Studios expansion, so you're having Toy Story Land. Are they going to keep the Pixar Place name as that little? Land See, I, I think what gives the rumor some believability, at least. Maybe not Monsters, Inc., but something, it, is I feel like they're going to transition to where that little alley, um, what was it formerly, Mickey Avenue, back there behind, the actual alley that you you know, you know walk in front of now to get to Toy Story uh, Mania, I think they're going to end up just closing that off. And because the entrance to Toy Story Mania is now going to be from Toy Story Land, according to the concept art, uh, on the backside. Okay. Uh, at least that's what it looks like. And so I, I think there's some believability to the fact that they're going to do some changes to that whole structure uh, of the back. So, And all those buildings. I mean, One Man's Dream or whatever it's being called these days, Voyage of the Little Mermaid, those are, those are hanging on by a thread. And the Star Wars launch bay is clearly, I mean... A placeholder that's gonna surely disappear when Galaxy's Edge comes. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Other than that, all you got is the Disney Junior show, and I don't know. I think there's, I think they have a a, lo- a large footprint to do lots of cool things with in that area. Well, I like what you said about the dark ride. I do not think the dark ride in DCA is perfect by any means because, like I said, it was an overlay of an attraction. But I've heard really good things about. I think it's called Ride and Go Seek in Tokyo, I yeah. want to say. Uh, so the story kind of lends itself to a dark ride. You know, you follow these characters in a monstropolis world, and so everything looks new and kind of fun to you because you're in a different world, and then you're chasing this child. Like, there's a lot of good elements there, so I think I think a dark ride would actually be fine with me. Yeah. 2003 came the next Pixar film, another huge hit. That is Finding Nemo. Uh, when you think about Nemo attractions and Nemo-related attractions in Walt Disney World, I don't think there's anything Nemo-related uh, in Magic Kingdom. Am I correct in that? I think you are correct. Except uh, now you, when you move over to Epcot and Animal Kingdom, you certainly have some Nemo-related attractions there. So let's start in Epcot, and that is in the Seas Pavilion, the Seas with Nemo and Friends. Yep. And moving on. That's, <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, again, one of those, like, was John Laster involved in the planning of these attractions? Because it's, you'd think he would demand more from uh, from an attraction representing his, his, his stuff. Well, I think there in the land, what it suffers from is it lacks any sort of heart, for one. It's, it's kind of just... I don't know. It feels like the old attraction crammed with Nemo. Now, I know that you said that some of that is new. Some of those sets and things are new, but it's screen based. It's just sort of like it's just boring. It, it, it doesn't there's no immersiveness. It's like you're looking at a, a, a play set. I wouldn't even call it a dark ride because you just feel so separated from what, what's actually happening because of the screens and because of the kind of the the shoddy sets and lighting. It's it just feels cheap. 
Yeah, the coolest part of that is the very end when they have the projections in the actual tanks and it looks like the animated characters are swimming with the real uh, creatures. Uh, and of course the song is there in the big blue world, um, which is which is a nice addition. But for the, for the most part, this attraction is kind of a dud. And it cracks me up that that queue is 700 <laughs> miles long. Like, did they expect that people would be lined up this far for it? I, I don't know. Anything that was used previously, because in the previous attraction, the, the Living Seas, you had what at least one or two holding pre-show type areas that were pretty large and so they just you know took all that out and why they decided to put a queue in all of it i don't know yeah it takes at least five minutes to walk through it is so long it wouldn't surprise me if they put a gift shop halfway through (laughs) and then just let you keep going yeah now when did this open because i'm pretty sure it was there our first trip in 07 Maybe maybe oh six six October of 06. I feel like I feel like I went there on a, on a trip. It was the year before I went with you guys. It was a different group, and we made a special trip to Epcot one night just to do that. And we were like, "Well, that's okay." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from a creative standpoint, it makes sense. So, like earlier, Jeremy, you said this was a big movie. Um, you might be surprised to know that Finding Nemo is the highest grossing Pixar film of all of them. And the second highest is Finding Dory. Wow. It just beat out Toy Story 3 for for second place. Um, So those two films are the highest grossing, biggest box office Pixar film. So it does kind of make sense that not only did they add this attraction, they really turned the whole Seas Pavilion into Finding Nemo because you've also got Turtle Talk with Crush. You've got that little shark. It's kind of a playground i haven't really been over there but that's what it looks like from a distance and then even on the outside they have the 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 i don't know stationary you know kind of picture backdrops yeah that have the nemo characters i don't think stationary is the right word (laughs) like paper no stationary isn't it doesn't move like a stationary bicycle um, oh, I'm picturing like you can write little hand notes. To <laughs> no, no, no. A R Y. Yeah, that is also stationary. Yes, but. yes. <laughs> anyway, so they went all in with the Finding Nemo theme, is what I'm saying. The whole pavilion is is definitely kind of uh, a Nemo esque feel, which is interesting because you have other films that are popular that are ocean related. I'm thinking like The Little Mermaid that could easily uh, fit into into that pavilion as well. So yeah, that's true. And at that point, I mean, you already had Animal Kingdom, which didn't have a ton of attractions in those first few years. So, like, if I were Disney, my first thought would be, hey, we can get some more in Animal Kingdom now. True, but you don't have, like, fish tanks and actual water. That's true. And if I I am reading Matt correctly from past podcasts, the Living Seas at that point kind of needed an upgrade anyway, so. Uh, And and they did uh, take advantage of Nemo at Animal Kingdom because they enclosed the Theater of the Wild and now you had replacing Tarzan Rocks Finding Nemo the Musical music and lyrics by the Lopez's most famous for Book of Mormon and Frozen yeah this is it's probably between this and Toy Story Mania for my favorite incorporation of a Pixar film into the parks is there, is there a contest? 
for me it is. I mean, you know how much I hate games where you have to shoot things. <laughs> no, I don't mean between the two of them. I mean between the two of them and every other oh. attraction, <laughs> except for maybe it's tough to be a bug. Uh, yeah, that's fair. You guys know I've loved this attraction, yeah. this show from the beginning. I still love it. It is getting um, to that point that I think it's time to think about the next uh, adventure <laughs> to be put yeah. in that theater. Um, because I did see it on my last trip and again, loved it. Love, love, love. But it's going on now. Gosh, 10 years. I think it was 2008 that thing opened. Yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of Aladdin in DCA. I mean, people fell in love with that show. Locals did, you know, and they were sad to see it go. But at the same time, I think that theater just kind of lends itself to having one good show for seven, eight years and then bringing in another good show. Yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder what they would bring in next, uh, you know, because DCA, or excuse me, um, Animal Kingdom doesn't have the best track record lately with entertainment. Seeing the Jungle Cruise or Jungle Book or whatever that thing was. Yeah, I think we need a good dinosaur musical next. <laughs> Starring Rex, I imagine, huh? Yeah. <laughs> the good dinosaur and Rex. That is <laughs> one thing, and it's a picky thing for Disney fans, I know. But it's one of those things, like, why, why is that a good place for that show? In Dino Land? It's, yeah, I guess it's technically in Dinoland. It's like, okay, I mean, fish were, or I don't know, if those kind of fish were. <laughs> I honestly think Disney is hoping you won't notice it's technically in Dinoland USA. Because it's right there by the bridge. Like, you're, you're kind of in no man's land. Yeah. You can still hear the faint ticking of primeval world. Of course, you can hear that in Asia, too. Yeah, so. you can. You can hear on Flight of Passage. <laughs> not, so, not so faint. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, Finding Nemo, huge presence in Epcot and huge presence really in Animal Kingdom. I mean, it's just one show, but like it's a significant show, you know, like they 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 created an entire show with new material for this movie. It's very true. And uh, I imagine it's a pretty expensive show to produce each and every day. Interesting. So. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of for Finding Nemo is... Art of Animation Resort. You know, they picked four movies to create an entire section for, and Finding Nemo was one of those four. That's true. And uh, Toy Story has a big presence at, uh, what is that? Pop? All-Star Movies. All-Star Movies. In 2004, Pixar released another film that kind of took them in a different direction than what they were, were, were kind of trending towards. This one is more of a... Uh, appeals more to older kids... And uh, even teenagers, I would dare say, it's a kind of a superhero film. Not, not kind of. It is a superhero film. That is The Incredibles, 2004. Surprisingly to me, I mean, this is a good film. Don't get me wrong. But I am amazed at the number of people that will tell you that The Incredibles is their absolute favorite Pixar film. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah. I like it. A lot of people like it. Yeah, I love this film, and it's funny to me, I think it's been kind of a slow build of, like, audience love for this film. I think it, when it was released, it didn't quite hit you in the gut like Finding Nemo did. So most people I talked to were like, yeah, it was fun, it was a good movie. And I think only in the last five or six years has it been like, you know what, that's kind of a brilliant movie in a lot of ways. Yes, I love Edna Mode. She is one of my favorite characters. And a uh, good film. And we're getting a, a sequel to it as well coming up here in, what, 18, 19? This year. It's uh, this summer. This summer? Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that soon. Yeah. 
Awesome. Uh, so, but The Incredibles, not a lot of presence in the parks. No, it's really not, is it? I mean, they used to have a stage dance party thing in Tomorrowland. Even that's gone now. So they don't even yeah. dance anymore, like Frozone, Frozone and all them aren't over there? I don't think so, unless they're part of the new party. But the old party actually had the Incredibles in the title, and the new one does not, if it even exists. I don't think I've ever seen them out there in the last few months I've been there. Within our theme today of things heads falling off, that is one of my favorite Disney accident videos, is when Miss Incredible... Uh, trips and falls and and it, it's the most bizarre costume ever because it's not her head or a thing it's like a the face comes off <laughs> but the hair flies attached. it <laughs> reminds me of those old sneakers that um the girls in my class who were cheerleaders they had like the little color plastic things on the sides that you could pop out and put in your school colors Never mind. Obviously, this is not ringing any bells for you guys. But there was there was some brand of tennis shoes where every year the cheerleaders had to order these, and it had like these little plastic inserts on the side, and you could put your school colors as the plastic thing, and it just popped right out. Huh. And that's what that reminds me of. The things that stay with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My sister was a cheerleader, so you know. Oh, I see. Uh, they used to meet, of course, at Hollywood Studios there in the Art of Animation building. Uh, Mr. Incredible, Frozone, sometimes Mrs. Incredible, but no more. Yeah. But they are getting some love out of DCA, of course, with the well, Incredicoaster. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Incredicoaster. Uh, um, you know, honestly, from, from how they've described it, I think it's actually going to be pretty cool. Like the way there are projections beside you as you climb the hills and stuff. I mean, I still hate the idea of Pixar Pier, but Incredicoaster, as an, as a single by itself attraction, might be cool. And, well, I mean, yeah. Could they? What is up with these names lately, though? They're just so weird. And let's like, combine words. <laughs> Incredicoaster would fit great at Cinemagine Park. Cinemagine. <laughs> Cinemagine with the Incredicoaster. <laughs> and then Impressions Day. France. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor, poor Incredibles. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some love in the future. If the sequel's popular. Uh, 2006, the release of another uh, film that started a franchise. Cars came out. Um, and then, of course, followed by Cars 2 and Cars 3. Cars 2, I think it's generally accepted that that is the most hated pixar film ever produced i mean it's just the worst like objectively speaking <laughs> it's not very good it is the jar jar binks and i mean that because they took a character that was uh well okay it's not jar jar binks in that sense but they took a character that was fine as a minor supportive character and tried to make him the feature and they found out that a little bit goes a long <laughs> way yes That's so true and you can see her, they, right? they learned right. yeah they learned that lesson though because you get cars three and mater is back to his supportive i would say he's barely in cars three <laughs> yeah uh, he's, he's like at the beginning and it's like all right see you mcqueen and then it's gone you know <laughs> yeah you know for there being three movies in this franchise and for there being an entire land dedicated to this franchise on the west coast it has surprisingly little presence in walt disney world yeah you know, 
I was I was wondering if they were going to turn that stunt show into a Cars thing before they closed it out at Hollywood Studios. That's right. I mean, he, Lightning McQueen was added at one point, but yeah, but couldn't you see that whole like transforming that town into Radiator Springs? Yeah. Uh, at the end, the- <laughs> at the end, Mater busts through the doors. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's flames behind it. Dag gum, dag gum, dag. I think that, that actually would have been pretty entertaining. Come to think of it. Um, they had a meet and greet with them. I can't remember if they talked to you or if they just were kind of there. I think they did just say like generic things like, hey, you know, hey, superstar or whatever it was at Hollywood Studios. Yeah, back by Streets of America. We did that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they talked. I think they just revved the engines, though. Yeah, blink stuff. Um, Cruz Ramirez is still at Hollywood Studios. She, she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she pops up back in Pixar Place, and it's the same kind of thing, like revs and the headlights blink, and it plays like dance music in speakers all around. But I think we we would agree on this, Derek, that Cars Land is the the best theme park land adaption from a film that I've ever seen. In the sense that. We- you look at it, you're like, holy crap, I'm here. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. And yeah. and just just the overall, I mean, you are in that film and you are just, I mean, I'm amazed. And I sat there and looked at that and I'm like, man, they created these mountains and they look so real. And the and the attraction is so uh, riveting as well. I really yeah. like it. Second to Pirates of the Caribbean, I think Radiator Springs Racers is my favorite attraction over there. It's good. And it's sad that the second film is is not that great. It's not good, and the third film is not... I mean, I enjoyed the third film, but I know a lot of people didn't. Uh, but that first film really is good. I, I think if you can watch Cars and separate yourself from, from the other things and just watch that first one, it's a very <laughs> enjoyable film. Yeah. Um, the reason I brought up Art of Animation for Finding Nemo, because obviously there are better Finding Nemo things than the building at Art of Animation, but I feel like we had to bring it up because that's really the only place that Cars shows up is at Art of Animation. The second of the four buildings is a Cars-themed building. It's 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 it's, it's sort of a poor man's Cars land. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Uh, Alright, the next uh, film, 2007, Ratatouille. And up until the D23 Expo this past year, we really had zero Ratatouille uh, in the parks, but we are getting some in the future. Yeah, I I have high hopes for that. I love this movie, and so it it should be a Walt Disney World. I like this movie a lot, too. Um, You, they did have, like, for a month. It's one of those things, like, why is this not there all the time? They did have, like, for a month, the little miniature Remy animatronic in Chefs de France that would visit the tables. Yeah, I like that too. It's it's a simple thing they could have continued to do that people would like. Yeah. I can't imagine it costs much money to do. And you could, um, at one time, you know, they have the, the seasonal, like when the movies come out, you can meet the, the characters for a limited time at Hollywood Studios. They did have Remy and his brother Emil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For our listeners who don't know, uh, a Ratatouille attraction is coming to Epcot. It was announced at the D23 Expo. Has there been any announcement of construction started on that? It has started. I saw just last week some overhead shots of that building back there, yeah. 
That's awesome. And, yeah. and that's really cool, too, because that's the kind of construction they can do out of guest site. So it won't impede that that pavilion at all. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're going to have an attraction. Yeah, so perfect. Good point. Yes, I'm excited about Ratatouille. I love this film as well. In fact, this film came out right before Derek and I went to France uh, when we were in college. And I became even more enamored with it after I've been there because you're like, oh, my gosh, that looks just like Paris. <laughs> so mm, good times. All right. Uh, 2008, uh, probably my second favorite Pixar film. And that is Wally. Yeah. Uh, love the film, but nothing. And here's the thing: I would make the case that Wally would be a way better attraction in Tomorrowland than Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. I could even make the argument that Wally would be uh, better suited than Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's literally about the future. <laughs> I-, I liked Wally a lot too, and I liked the little the um. Well, shoot, is that even in the current show, Happily Ever After? Or was that on the old one where one of the old projection shows with Wally and Eve on the the castle? Are you thinking World of Color? No, there no, was, a, there was, there was, a, was little, just a brief moment where... Um, and if we're talking about that show, Happily Ever After, I don't think... I think every Pixar film is represented in some way on that show, in that show. You might be right, yeah. <laughs> Which is good. I, I mean, that's a good. It's a good way to kind of give them all, you know, five seconds of fame, if you will. Yeah. You know, if you're going to bring in characters though to uh, Epcot, the, the the movie has a very good Epcot message to it as well because it's it's futuristic and it's a very pro conservation, pro green movie that I think would work so well in Epcot that if they were to do something with it i think arguably it's more about personal health than environment <laughs> which is also i mean you could you could have that. wonders of life wonders of life your butts <laughs> yeah this is the first movie we've come to i think where it's nothing like at least with the incredibles you could meet them for a while but with wally there's nothing and honestly i can't see them ever ever putting anything wally related in the parks nope such a shame. All right, uh, 2009, Up was released. Yay. Love this is a Up. Good movie too. I mean, this is a, I still remember watching this for the first time with my mom, my grandma, my sister, and looking back and all three of them were just bawling their <laughs> eyes out. It's so my, good. When, when, um, when she, when the, spoiler, when uh, Carl's wife dies there when the first 10 minutes of the film, my mom goes, well, I just don't even know what else the movie can be about. <laughs> <laughs> I think, arguably, this was the first um, Pixar movie to since, I mean, in, what is that, 2009 and five, gee, six years. I think it was really the first one that kind of went back to the real Pixar vibe, i.e., pulling on your heartstrings. I mean, there's obvious, you know, you have some of that in Cars and Ratatouille and Wally, but I mean, really getting to some real emotional stuff uh, was that one. And it might be the first one that really, really got into that, like real emotions and stuff. Because the, the next, well, Toy Story 3 being, being the next one, but uh, up. Um, it was some real junk. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, she lost a baby, and then he lost his wife. Yeah. In the first five minutes, you have or ten minutes, you have a miscarriage and and a, and a death. Like, good night. But <laughs> but up has, in my opinion, the most ingenious incorporation into a Walt Disney World theme park, and that is incorporating that wonderful soundtrack into the Main Street USA uh, loop. Yeah, it's seamless. It's yeah. perfect. The only other part that I can think of besides that soundtrack, which I didn't think of, but thank you for bringing that up, <laughs> it's over at Animal Kingdom. You can join Russell and Doug and become a wilderness explorer guide uh, yourself. And and this is a, a cool thing that is free with park admission and something for, for children to do. Uh, go around and collect badges and, and those kind of things. And also learn about animals as well. Yeah, it's great. And Doug and Russell, I mean, meet regularly right by it's tough to be a bug and i like that too i think that's kind of a new development like within the last couple of years like you could kind of see them out and about before but now it's like they are always there taking pictures they have their own sign it's a permanent sign outside uh out on top of the meet and greet area so yeah they're there for, for a good time well actually now that i say that i think it's just russell i don't know if doug's always there hmm. but yeah which is because you would think that they would that the dog would be a little more attractive than the Asian boy, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who is shaped like a, an egg. Anyways, uh, 2010 Toy Story 3, we already mentioned 2011 Cars 2. And then the next original um, Pixar film that came out, 2012's Brave. Another film that really divided people <laughs> as far as their <laughs> opinion of it. I know Derek hates it. I don't get the hate for it because... Is it the best Pixar film? No, but it's, it's not as bad as what people say it is. I was just so bored. I found it to be really unoriginal. But, you know, her hair, her hair looks great. It's funny that you <laughs> say it's unoriginal because I really thought it was very original in its in its sort of concept. But that maybe that's just me. I also it's think all maybe over it, the place. It's, it's, it's all over the place in terms of, like, is this, you got the will-o'-the-wisps and then you've got the 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 actual plot with the bear and then the oh, but then there's the 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 kind of the I don't for lack of a better term feminist undertones and it's just like what what is this what where is this movie going? The heart of the film is that it's a mother daughter tale. It's the and I think that a lot of moms and and daughters connected with it. Oh my gosh, it's like Lady Bird. It's the Lady Bird of Pixar. Lady Bird Johnson. <laughs> no, the movie Ladybird is about like never mind, a mom and a daughter and anyway, like Beaches. <laughs> oh, Beaches is such a good movie. I love Beaches. See, unoriginal. They looked at Beaches and were like, let's just make that animated with a red-haired girl. It has nothing to do with <laughs> each other. But uh, I love the uh, soundtrack of this movie too. And this, I mean a very prominent place in Happily Ever After and that the whole like song and the verse and chorus of the song uh, Touch the Sky is is part of it. Yeah, one of my favorite moments is when she sh when she, her, her projection shows up on the front of the castle and she shoots an arrow and right where the arrow flies off the screen quote unquote if you will 
like a flash of like pyrotechnics flies off the side of the castle and it looks like her arrow. That's cool. But yeah, earlier I mentioned only one Pixar film is represented in the Festival of Fantasy Parade and it's this. I mean, it's got a whole section. You've got the dancers wearing the kilts and then you've got her big old bagpipe float. (laughs) Got them big old bagpipes. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, what's funny to me is that this kind of... uh, stylized it matches that tangled snuggly duckling float so well yeah. that kind of sort of viking-esque look to them both you could kind of interchange them out very easily uh i love touch the sky i think it's a great song it is i think that i think the reason they keep pushing merida is because she's technically a disney princess and i i, I feel like disney feels like they need to give her equal representation or at least close to equal as the other princesses which is why she's featured so heavily in happily ever after and the parade and she still has that permanent meet and greet which i thought for sure when they first announced it was going to be temporary it feels like a temporary meet and greet but it's still kicking back there right behind the castle well that i'll show you there's an audience for it so no it's mostly because girls are like hey there's no line for this princess (laughs) let's do it (laughs) who is this now how dare you? No, nah, I'm just kidding. Is this the Bette, Mid- Bette Midler meet and greet right here? <laughs> we love beaches. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Bernadette Peters because of those red curls. She she does kind of have a Bernadette Peters-esque uh, look to her, that, which is uh, tied to Bette Midler because now she's playing Hello, Dolly. So. Exactly. It go. all comes back around. Mm, doesn't it? Uh, 2015... Ma, uh, well, Monsters University came out in 2013. Then 2015 was Inside Out. Yeah, I think everyone thought, okay, first of all, love this movie so much. This might be, well, it's hard to say because Toy Story is so good, but I love this movie. And I think everyone thought when it was released, and it did really, really well with critics and the box office, at the box office, the, the word was that, oh, it's coming to Epcot. Something, some Inside Out ride. It's coming. It is a wasted, a wasted opportunity because, uh, but but we just don't know what the what the vision for Epcot is going to be because if Epcot's going to be taking a different approach in the next few years, which is what it looks like it's going to be, uh, then so be it. Maybe there's not a place for these kind of kind of attractions. But if you're going to have Epcot be classic Epcot and continue to be that way. This is the perfect opportunity. Oh, I think it's no, I think it's the opposite. If we're moving away from classic Epcot, that's where you get these characters involved. I mean, classic Epcot in the sense of you're going to have pavilions that are dedicated to different types of uh, science and innovation. And if you're going to have a a Wonders of Life-esque like pavilion, then you could easily... In a generic way, the science-y, futuristic feel will still be there. It just won't be as real and the same thing for world showcase i think yeah that's kind of unfortunate because I, I i like that that concept there but whatever no there other than that there's really no i mean no inside out presence at all they were at hollywood studios for a bit joy you can sadness. meet them joy and sadness still right can't you where baymax is yes they still meet and honestly i give props to disney for keeping them there this long it's a super popular meet and greet like i would say 30 minutes minimum every single time i walk Mm. in there because they're they're great like they're the characters look really good and joy or sadness especially always has so much fun like playing around with the guests yeah 
November of that same year, The Good Dinosaur was released. <laughs> and it went just as quick as it came. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the movie people forgot and the movie I like to forget. Again, not a terrible movie when you just kind of just uh, see it for what it is. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. Eh, well, maybe. that's. I, 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 I liked Brave a lot more than I liked The Good Dinosaur. Well, that's saying something. Uh, <laughs> 2016, Finding Dory. 2017, Cars 3. 2017, November, later that year, was Coco. And uh, that brings us to the present. So Coco was the last Disney film to be released theatrically. There is a bit of a Coco presence in uh, the Mexico Pavilion. <laughs> Imagine. The play the uh play the coco soundtrack got a whole separate mariachi like band that plays this like aside from the normal one and the whole uh the exhibit that everybody always breezes through on the way into the pyramid is that i don't know what the art form is called it's kind of the painted uh day of the dead kind of though the whole thing's about it's called remember me is the exhibit's name too which is just about the day of the dead and art that surrounds that and stuff Exciting stuff. Well, you know, I mean, who knows? It's still possible that Grand Fiesta Tour could become Grand Coco Tour, but <laughs> the Grand Coco Tour. Uh, no, I think the thing is, movies like Wall-E, movies like Inside Out, movies like Coco, they are excellent films that speak uh, to children. They, they are there's a level that they entertain children but they also have another message and another level of entertainment that speaks to adults and i think that's why adults connect with them as well uh they don't lend themselves very well to translation into theme park experiences mm. and that's unfortunate well and honestly that's okay too I, I don't think every single movie needs to get an attraction you know very true i i will agree with that um uh, yeah and, and like something like Coco being represented in the Mexico Pavilion on a small level where it's there, but it's not overwhelming. You know, it's not the Coco Pavilion, and, you know, nor should it be. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah, I, I think overall, as we talk about Pixar, I think Disney has missed the mark more than they've nailed it with these Pixar attractions. Yeah. Which is kind of a shame. I mean, think about Star Wars. They acquired Star Wars, and at every corner you turn, they're looking for more ways that they can add Star Wars to the parks. But I feel with Pixar, they're more careful. Who is to blame for this, though? I I don't know. What year was it that John Lasseter, I think it was shortly after Disney acquired Pixar, that John Lasseter was made whatever creative executive director for Walt Disney Imagineering. And so I feel like he called a lot of the shots. And though Cars Land was, you know, good, um, the the Luigi's Flying Tires and whatever that is currently was was his kind of thing. And I feel like everything he kind of touched was like, I was really excited when I found out that he was going to be, like when it was announced that he's going to be high up on the chain because he's going to bring some quality. But I haven't, we haven't really seen that. And now he's, you know, whatever he's doing. Yeah. So coming up, of course, in the uh, in the future, like we said, Cars or excuse me, Incredibles two is opening uh, this year. Toy Story four scheduled to open in two thousand nineteen, and we really haven't gotten any announcements of any other Pixar films 
in the future, which is kind of rare because usually they give us like a three or four, you know, projected window. Yeah, that's true. Um, but anyways, Cars, uh, excuse me, I keep saying Cars. Toy Story Land is about to open uh, in a few months. So the Pixar presence is still remaining strong at Disney parks and probably will be for many, many, many more years to come. Yeah, who knows what the future holds. Uh, listeners, hey, if you have any... Which of these is your favorite? Like, I'm just curious to know, because we definitely shared our honest opinions about some of these attractions, namely Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor, Seas with Nemo and Friends. Uh, I, I want to know, like, what people's favorite Pixar attraction is, because, like I said, even though that we named quite a few, I don't think any of them are just, like, state-of-the-art, blow-your-mind attractions. So I'd be curious to know that. But you can always reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at Mad Chatters. We have a Facebook page if you would like to go interact with us over there or send your emails to comments at madchatters.net. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Um, Bye-bye now. So there you go, the three caballeros. Um, I don't know how to wrap this up. Three happy chappies with their happy sombreros in there. You know, uh, I like to think of us as the three caballeros here uh, on the show. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think that Derek is definitely Jose. Uh, Matt is Donald, and I am Panchito. Mostly because I wear this giant sombrero each week and I carry my gun. Of course. I, I wish people could see that, yeah. Two guns. And because Matt doesn't wear pants, that's why he's Donald. (laughs) (laughs) Only when we record. (laughs) And I have a sailor's hat. (laughs) Pixar. Gosh, why can't they get it right with Pixar? I don't know. I've always kind of thought that. Like, okay, Lassiter, like, when are you going to do something? I don't know. I never really thought about how bad it was till we did this podcast, and I'm like, yeah, it really is bad. Isn't well, it's it? not like it's like like bad. It's just mediocre, and you would it's expect not good, more. Bad and the ugly. It's like it's not yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, it's some work. I mean, my opinion would completely flip flop if they just added Heimlich's choo choo train. Oh yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, it could go around the tree of life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but...